Welcome to Huddle Home Office. I'm Mark Legere. Hi, I'm Derek Montague. Hi, Derek. Hey, Mark. How are you doing? Good, sir. How are you doing? This is actually the first time that we've had you on the podcast. And where are we finding you, Derek? Uh, I'm in Halifax, specifically Dartmouth today. Uh, as you know, uh, like much of the Maritimes, the uh, city is uh, mostly locked down. So uh, just trying to get through it the best way we can. Yeah, definitely. And uh, and I know, Derek, you're one of our Halifax area-based reporters uh, and so have been with us since the spring. Actually, not long. I think you joined us not long before the COVID-19 uh, lockdown. I think I lasted about a week before the first lockdown began on March 17th. And so, so Derek, uh, what we're talking about on today's podcast, we're doing an, an interview with um, with Sawyer uh, Hene from Country Liberty. It's a it's a, a, a lifestyle brand, a lifestyle company, and they, they sell like sweatshirts and and shirts and uh, and retail products like that online. Um, and he is uh, Sawyer is originally from Rexton. New Brunswick, and uh, his company is based in uh, nearby Rishabuktu uh, right now. And he also runs uh, a, a division of the company uh, called Liberty Village, which is uh, you know a group of cabins uh, that's connected to Country Liberty and is kind of a, a place to go vacation. Uh, that's kind of in a rural kind of uh, outdoor setting. And uh, it's all around, uh, you know, Sawyer's idea that um, he, that he wants to celebrate rural life and, and, and small town life and, and enjoying the outdoors. Uh, and he had grown up there and then lived in cities for a period of time uh, and then moved back there and, and founded this company. Uh, and I know that you're sitting in, in Dartmouth right now. And it was actually the inspiration for Sawyer's company uh, because he had moved from uh, rural New Brunswick to Dartmouth uh, to play major junior hockey. And, uh, you know, funny, Derek, and you probably relate to this, uh, given where you're from, he was coming to the big city when he came to Dartmouth. And uh, and so it was sort of his first introduction to city life. For, for a lot of us, it might be, you know, moving, going to Toronto, going to places like New York. Uh, at the time for Sawyer, growing, going to Dartmouth was going to the big city. And where are you from, Derek? Uh, I'm from a very small town called Northwest River in Labrador, a population 550 people. So can you kind of, can you relate to, you know, Sawyer, Sawyer's idea of kind of like, because you're now in Dartmouth and Halifax is becoming more urban all the time. Um, what do you miss about uh, life about from where you're from? Uh, not much. Uh, I had, even though I, it, it's a rural area, uh, was a good place to have a childhood with because you had a lot of freedom with the outdoors. I was arguably the last generation to have freedom. You know, as soon as you turn six or seven years old, you can go off and bike on your own. You can uh, be outside with your friend without adult supervision. And, you know, nobody was kind of worried about you. But as I got older, I definitely craved a place with a bigger population um, when I got more sociable. So it was interesting that me and Sawyer's life's uh, kind of diverged. Uh, as soon as I went to Fredericton for university in 2007, uh, it kind of solidified that I'm much more of an urban person. But uh, Sawyer very much reminds me of somebody like my brother, who he went to university, loved university, loved uh, um, an urban setting, but uh, he was too much of an outdoorsman to stay away from a place like Labrador. He uh, very much is somebody who takes advantage of the freedom of being able to uh, 
uh, fish basically uh, for free because there's all land is crown land, it seems, and uh, you can fish and hunt uh, to your heart desires. I was never much of a fisherman or a hunter, so, um, but I can see where he's coming from. And uh, to tell you the truth, uh, I think his unique branding idea is going to appeal to urban people. I once read an academic paper uh, that had a, the theory that people who live too long in an urban setting will crave uh, a rural environment and it works vice versa. So those of us like myself who grew up rural for too long will crave the city and people who live in the city too long will crave the outdoors. So I think uh, his brand will actually appeal more to people who have lived in a city too long and wishes that they had the rural lifestyle. Yeah. And I think, uh, and this is part of the conversation that, that Sawyer and I end up having is also part of, you know, the potential growth for a company like his is that even, even if, you know, people in the cities don't necessarily want to, you know, move, you know, to, to a rural place, uh, they would love to go spend a week at a place like Liberty village or, they may connect with the, you know, the brand overall and, 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 you know, and buy his, his, uh, his, his shirts and his sweatshirts and the other products that he sells that kind of evoke that, that sense of, of rural life, um, you know, in, in relation to what we're talking about and he, I ended up talking a bit about this, Derek, you know, I, I grew up, uh, somewhere kind of suburban rural and, uh, you know, I, I feel that pull to both, you know, right. So I spend, you know, my summers at a cottage in a very, rural setting. And, you know, I live in a downtown, you know, where it's quite industrial and, you know, I can't see the stars. Um, and I miss that. Right. So I think we all feel that kind of push pull, um, and both actually appeal to us. Right. Uh, so you're telling me that you're not, uh, you're not eager to go back and live in a small town of 500 anymore. No. Uh, and especially where Halifax is an urban center, but you're not very far from being able to uh, drive on the highway and being able to see the stars. Like uh, uh, Halifax is very much uh, located in a very central place in the province that's uh, very connected to rural areas. And it's one of the advantages of living in Nova Scotia, I feel, is you're not far away from either. So if I ever did get the craving, to get out of the city uh, with some friends for a while, it's not expensive and it's not troublesome to find uh, that camping ground or that rural area or that place by the ocean. Uh, it's not like a lot of other urban areas, uh, like big cities, where you really have to go far to, to find those places. So I, I really don't get homesick. Uh, uh, and I think that it's because if I ever do crave that fishing trip once in a while or that camping trip, I know it's not very far away. Well, the reason, Derek, why we're connecting with uh, with Sawyer on, on this week's uh, episode and, and part of the reason I wanted to pull you in for this chat is, uh, is that Sawyer's actually um, got some national tracking um, for his business. I mean, over the last... In, in, in the time since he created the business, he's had like, you know, astounding two and a half million dollars worth of sales. So a significant uh, number there. And in the last year or so alone, you know, 1.1 million in, in sales. So, you know, from 
small town, New Brunswick, uh, he's been able to grow a very successful online business. Uh, and he also has attracted the attention of uh, two investors from Dragon's Den, Derek. And I know that you had written a piece about his recent appearance on, on Dragon's Den. Um, tell me a little bit about that conversation you had with him. Yeah, well, um, at the time that I had the conversation with him, he had the non-disclosure agreement because the episode hadn't aired yet. And he, he didn't really tip his hand as to whether or not, uh, whether or not he did get a deal. He had a good poker uh, expression for that one, uh, but uh, it was a very interesting conversation. Uh, and one of the thing, the thing, the thing that initially initially made me gravitate towards his story is I've always been interested in the stories of what athletes do when their careers are over, uh, because to make it even to the major junior level, let alone a professional level. Uh, you've spent much of your youth uh, dedicated 100, almost 100% of your waking hours to perfecting your hockey game and little else outside of it. And it's been well documented in every high competitive sport that a lot of athletes go into depression and bankruptcy and a whole host of problems because their identity is their sport. And when their playing days are over, uh, they become lost. So I have always had an interest in stories of athletes who a lot of them are becoming entrepreneurs. We uh, talked to, uh, we did a story with TJ Galliardi for Huddle. He was a former Colorado Avalanche player who uh, is now in the uh, food waste business uh, specifically. They take food waste from grocery stores and turn them into uh, uh, these protein products uh, so that it's a health product that also eliminates unneeded food waste. So Sawyer's story very much reminded me of that as somebody who uh, got creative when their hockey days were over and um, just... uh, found a new interest and didn't just sit around thinking about the glory days. That's what really made me interested in him. And uh, after interviewing him, uh, yeah, he's definitely not a one-trick pony. He's a man of many talents. And definitely in in, in my conversation with him, uh, you know, he, he was, you know, very, very thoughtful and, and, uh, and shrewd about all that in the sense that, you know, he, part of the reason why he was able to transition uh, so easily into, you know, life as an entrepreneur is it is that he he prepared for it. Right. And and he at some point, you know, saw that, you know, his his hockey hockey career uh, uh, professionally was going to come to a close and, and was already starting to plan. So it was very kind of thoughtful about that. Um, so, yeah. So, Derek, why don't we uh, go to that conversation with uh, Sawyer? And uh, thanks very much for joining me. Thank you. Can't wait to listen to it. Morning, Sawyer. Good day, Mark. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, well, thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us. So where where do I find you today? So today I'm sitting in my office in uh, in Rishabakto, New Brunswick. And is your is it like downtown in Rishabakto? Like uh, where situate me where you are? Well, I guess as downtown as it can get. I mean, it's a really small town here. Um, but uh, I'm actually set up in my old middle school. So this was an old middle school that the town had taken over and, and renovated into um, office space for, for people like me. Um, so I'm sitting in my eighth grade computer lab class right now, but which is now my office. 
<laughs> Does that bring back memories for you? <laughs> it, it, I tell you, my first like week being here, it was really strange because after I left, you know, grade eight, I've never returned until now. Um, so yeah, it took a week that it was a little different, but but it's uh, pretty comfortable now. Yeah, I'm now trying to picture going back into my my uh, my junior high uh, as a workplace. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's quite different. I mean, the the lockers uh, seemed a whole lot bigger when I was about four and a half feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> So you grew up in, in, in the Rochebuctu area. Tell me about your childhood. Yeah, so I, I grew up in uh, what I refer to as just outside of Rexton. So Rexton is the town over from Rochebuctu, and, and I, I grew up just about 10 minutes outside of town. Um, so my childhood was, you know, very rural New Brunswick. I mean, I, I grew up, I was, my neighbors were farmers and family members, and we lived um, just a stone throw away from the river. Uh, which is, uh, you know, maybe 10 miles from the ocean. Um, grew up on lots of land, like like our, our entire street was family land. So I grew up with my little, uh, with my cousins, I guess little, they were my age, but, uh, and my aunts and my uncles, and, and we had lots of uh, family type things going on all the time. Um, you know, lots of woods and trails, walking trails and the beach and things like that. So I grew up really uh, outdoors a lot. Um, uh, you know, I, I was either outdoors or, you know, playing hockey or when I was allowed trying to play video games. But but more often than not, you know, we were kicked outside and told to go find something to do. And in terms of when you when you uh, left left the area for the first time, was it when you when you started playing hockey a lot? Yeah. So, I mean, I grew up um, I was very fortunate. My parents um, and, and looking back now, I realized just how lucky I was. My parents carted me around the province and around Atlanta, Canada a lot as a kid growing up. Um, so I traveled a little bit that way, kind of from the backseat of the car. And then, um, when I was, I believe 14 or 15, I started traveling into Moncton to play for the, uh, AAA team in, in Moncton. That was the closest team to, to Rexton. Um, and then at 16, that's when I took the big leap and I moved to Dartmouth, uh, Nova Scotia to play for the Halifax Mooseheads. And when did you realize, like, as, as uh, you know, as a young kid playing hockey, uh, that you were going to have the sort of the ability and the work ethic to go and, and, you know, play like major junior and get drafted ultimately? Um, yeah, it was, I never really looked too long term, like playing hockey was always kind of a year to year mindset and not even really that because there was no real pressure or stress around hockey until I got significantly older. And, and through the years, I was never like, I, I can't say I was ever the best player on the team. So I was always, you know, probably in the top average of the team every year, but I was never just like the best. So I, it, it always, you know, kept me humbled, but, but also um, kept me in the mindset of, you know, there's a lot of good hockey players out there. So, you know, the NHL seemed pretty far-fetched and things like that. Um, and then, you know, I just, I, when I made that team in, in Moncton, the, the, the AAA team in Moncton, that was a big step forward that kind of separated me from a lot of my peers. Um, and then, you know, I had a, a decent season my first year. I had a really strong season my second year. Uh, we, we went all the way to um, the TELUS Cup. Uh, you know, we had a really good team and lots of players on that team were successful. Um, and from that season, I was drafted to the queue. And, and it, but it wasn't until then that I thought, hey, you know, I have an actual chance of playing in, in the Quebec League. Um, and, you know, again, same thing. Once I got to the Quebec League, I was very... Uh, very average, um, I felt, you know, uh, not a star by any means. And, you know, I started getting some calls from NHL teams, which I didn't really take too serious because, again, it seemed like a really far-fetched far-fetched dream. Um, 
and then eventually I got drafted. So then all of a sudden it became real. Uh, and, and I, you know, was going to Vancouver camps and I was traveling and I was, you know, speaking with their development, uh, team and, and things like that. So it just, it just kind of year to year, it just got kind of more and more real. But again, uh, you know, I was at no point was I the best player on any team and, uh, you know, at no point was I really a superstar. You know, and I know we'll, we'll kind of dig into this more as the conversation goes, because I know a lot of the basis of, you know, the, the country Liberty brand is, is celebrating that rural uh, rural life and what's great about it. Um, but I'm curious to know before we get into that. So you're, you know, uh, a young guy from kind of the, the Rexton, Rishabaktu area and you land in, in Dartmouth and, and for a lot of people, uh, you know, a big city, it depends on where they come from, right? If you, if you come from Toronto, uh, New York's big city and Hong Kong's a big city. Uh, if you come from Rexton, uh, Dartmouth, Halifax is a big city. How, how did you settle into life there? Like how quickly did you adjust to living there? Yeah. So I, you know, when people ask me uh, kind of the idea of, of country Liberty and where it came from, a, a big part of where it came from was that move to Dartmouth. Cause as you emphasized, you know, relevant to me in Rexton, I mean, Rexton is a town of 800 people and I live outside of town, you know, so even, even a smaller area. So, so I came from a very, very small place and, and uh, Dartmouth, but more so Halifax really felt like a big city, um, you know, to me. Uh, but the adjustment was pretty easy because I went there knowing I was there for hockey. And it was no different than when I moved to Europe or the States or Quebec or any of these places. Like the city and my opinion of the city always came second because the first priority was I need to, I'm coming here to play hockey and be successful. And that was that was the mindset that consumed me. Um, so, you know, I adjusted, there was things that I liked about living in Dartmouth and, 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 and being across from Halifax and there was things that I didn't, uh, but none of that really mattered because I was, I was there for hockey. So that was such just a, uh, dominating thought that everything else was second place. How, how long did you live there? So I lived in Halifax for three and a half uh, years, um, you know, with, traveling a little bit in the off seasons and things like that. And, and so when you say, you know, it was the basis for your thinking about, um, country, uh, about country Liberty, what, what did you like about Dartmouth and what were you missing? I was missing essentially what the brand represents. Now I was missing the freedom. Freedom was the very first, uh, well, I guess, our brand aligns with three values, freedom, nature, and community. And freedom was the very first value I noticed um, was a little imbalanced by moving to Dartmouth and, and Halifax because, you know, I went from living down a long rural road, you know, the ability to go outside and, and, and just do your thing. Like for context, I played ball hockey by myself <laughs> my entire childhood and narrated out loud as loud as I could, you know, my, these NHL fantasies. And, um, you know, and then when I moved to Dartmouth and things, I realized, Hey, when I go outside, there's about 25 neighbors that could look out their window and see me or hear me or, you know, so I just, I felt a little bit more confined. And, and, um, that was one of the biggest things that, that I noticed with, with my travels city to city was we are, you know, there's eyes on us at all times and, and we are a little bit more um, confined, I guess, versus in the country. You, you can really just go out and do your thing and, and be completely uh, by yourself, untouched by, um, you know, anybody else if you're looking for that, you know, private time. 
And at what point did you realize that hockey wasn't your path um, professionally and you were going to have to find something else to do? Like talk, talk to me about the path that led from, you know, late teenage years playing major junior sure. uh, to, uh, you know, ultimately starting your own company. Yeah. So I, I mean, I always loved hockey. I still love hockey. Um, and I watch hockey more now than I, than I did in my teens and when I was playing. Um, and, but the biggest thing, I mean, you know, I loved it. I was good at it, which also helped encourage me to continue. Um, I, I wanted more so than anything. And I realized this, like after looking within myself is what I wanted the most was to be successful. It, it wasn't that I wanted to make the NHL the most. It was, I wanted to be successful. And as a young, um, you know, talented hockey player, I seen hockey as my best route to success. So when that route to success started to kind of change, that's when I pivoted, you know, because my obsession wasn't with making the NHL. My obsession was with just being successful and hockey just seemed to be the best way to do it at the time. Um, but once I, you know, seen more of the business side of hockey, when hockey became uh, less of just fun and recreation and more of job and serious um, and, and that business side kind of turned me off a little bit, you know, um, and when I realized too, and I had that conversation with myself based on where I fit in and how many players were out there and, you know, how much I needed to, how much better I needed to be to make that next level. I realized, you know, my best bet isn't pursuing this anymore. And, and that was when I was, you know, I was playing, I was on an American league contract and I was playing in the East coast league at the time I was, I was only 21. I was making good money. Life was good. I'm a pro hockey player. You know, every, everything seemed fantastic, but I didn't feel the longevity. I felt um, a little insecure in terms of uh, job security. So, you know, I realized, Hey, I want to go back to school. Uh, I want to tap into the scholarship opportunity I have get a degree and then have that as a fallback just in case. Because again, when I, when I was in those, in those minor leagues, I realized just how many players there were that were so good. Um, and then once I went to university, I started to get interested in many other things. And, and I also realized, you know, that I was good at other things because my entire life I thought, Hey, I'm a good hockey player and that's what I am. And that's all I am. And that's what I'll, that's all I'll ever be. But when I went back to school, I realized, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm, good at this or I'm interested in this or you know so it just kind of opened up my perspective um and within that within those changes in those years at university uh from from beginning to end was basically the time period that I decided against pursuing pro hockey again and pursuing uh, business and where did you go to university I went to uh, St. Thomas University and were you uh what kind of degree were you enrolled in there I ended up getting a, an economics uh, degree and um, a business minor. I'm about one course short from having a double major, business and, and economics. And when I got there, I, I, I didn't know much about school. I, I chose my school heavily on the scholarship offer versus what the academic offerings were, which was a mistake on my end. Um, but I went and and I'm happy I went in in, in hindsight. Um, and I went to pursue an economics degree. But once I got there, I realized my interest for business. So I just started stacking up business courses as much as I could because I just genuinely enjoyed those enjoyed those courses. When a lot of young people who you know, take business degrees, take economics degrees, you know, and may end up on a path to entrepreneurship, but 
in those initial years, uh, you know, most people would end up working for other people. Uh, what, what, what was, what was in you that made you want to be an entrepreneur at a young age? Was it the business idea itself? Was it something about you and the way you like to work and operate? Um, I think it was more like, cause when I started country Liberty, I didn't view it as a potential job. I didn't identify as an entrepreneur. It was just a little passion project. And, and over the years I've, I've done other little passion projects that just fizzled out and never went anywhere because that was never the original intention. Um, so I always kind of had that in me, that like creative gene and that, that want to like do things that are a little unconventional and, and, and look outside the box. So I always kind of had that within me. Um, but it wasn't until I went to school and got educated and got confident in, in my more creative side in the sense that it's like, Hey, this could actually go somewhere. This could actually maybe be a business someday. This could actually, you know, maybe sustain my lifestyle someday, you know? So, so once I got those kind of tidbits of confidence throughout those university days, um, you know, I just started to kind of double down on it, but, but I was never, I'm not a real risky person. So I was very consistently working on, uh, hockey, going to school and very, very open-minded to getting a job somewhere. Like, you know, most university students do once they graduate, I was very open to that, but I was also kind of playing in, in the entrepreneurial fire as well. And it just turned out that when, when, um, I graduated university, that entrepreneurial fire had outgrown the, 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 the want to continue professionally, professional hockey. And it also outgrew the want to just get a job. But, um, Unfortunately for me, at the point that I graduated, Country Liberty still wasn't self-sustaining. So I did have to get a job um, and I did actually play semi-professionally to help pay the bills as well at the time. Um, but at that point, hockey was just a means to pay the bills and the job, the temporary jobs that I had were just means of paying the bills until this newfound passion project, newfound business born out of a passion project could you know, sustain my lifestyle. So, so tell me about the roots of it as your passion project and a business. Like you, you talk about going, you know, the move to Dartmouth was, was a big spark for you in terms of, you know, moving from a, a rural place to a place that was more urbanized and, and yeah. Dartmouth Halifax is just becoming more and more so over the years. So what were the roots of Country Liberty? What was the inspiration? Yeah, well, one thing I always noticed, uh, you know, because you bring up Dartmouth and I'll, I'll kind of continue down the timeline as I explain, but Back in the Dartmouth days, like I grew up in rural New Brunswick and, and for you and anybody that's been in rural areas, you know, you know, the, the sounds and the feeling and the, the visuals of being in the country. Like, for example, at night, when you look up and, and it's a it's a clear night, you can see the stars clear as day. Right. Um, and that was one thing I noticed as a kid. When I moved at 16 to Dartmouth, I was naive. So I thought, hey, every kid had the same upbringing as me, which I realized very quickly that wasn't true. And I also thought, hey, everybody had you know similar environments to what I to what I had, and that wasn't true. In and and in truth, I was actually a minority, being from such a small town versus most of these athletic kids were coming from the cities. Um, and I remember being in Dartmouth and just looking up at the sky and not seeing a fraction of the stars that I was so used to seeing, and it just remembering like my love for that feeling of just complete freedom of, of, you know, like, like I said, looking up and just seeing that beautiful blanket of stars. And I remember not seeing that. And I felt like, I felt like, uh, um, something very valuable was taken away from me by being, by living in the city. And, and there's, it's no knock to cities cause I, I love spending time in the cities too, 
but just for the inspiration of, of the brand, I remember looking up and just feeling like something was missing, you know? Um, and then fast forward to when I moved uh, from Halifax to Europe, Europe was such a cultural different experience. And again, tons of things I love about the European culture, but it was very different and shown a, a, a very deep contrast based on rural Canada and, and the way that I grew up. So it was all these types of little realizations along my journey in my hockey travels that I realized, hey, I really value what I had in New Brunswick. And I want to represent that naturally. That's where I'm from, you know. So, of course, I was proud of it. And I naturally wanted to represent that pride. And um, that's where the idea for for Country Liberty came from. Right. And so uh, were you playing hockey in Europe? Yeah. Yeah. So I was playing um, for the Salzburg Red Bulls. So Vancouver, uh, my second year being a prospect with them at the end of that year it's basically decision time for the team and the prospect you know do you want to sign the prospect is essentially the underlining question and their solution was um we don't have room to sign you in terms of uh, contract limitations but we want to keep we want to keep working with you so we're going to uh, we're going to connect you with a european team uh salzburg in salzburg austria and um, you're going to go over there and develop, and then you're going to come to our camp next year. So that was the premise of, of when I went to Europe. So I played uh, professionally, but they have like state-of-the-art. I mean, it's Red Bull, right? So they have state-of-the-art training facilities and testing. I mean, they were testing our blood every hour of training. They were you know, skating skills coaches, uh, skating treadmills, and just technology that, that I'd never even seen in North America. Um, and, and that was the reason for going over there. But outside of the whole hockey part, I realized so many differences of just living life in, in, in Europe, especially at, at 19. You know, I was so naive leaving Rexton to go to Dartmouth at 16. You can't imagine how naive I was moving at 19 to, to Europe. And, and you were living in a city in Europe. Yes, that's right. Yeah, we were living in uh, uh, Salzburg. Um, the team had set me up with an apartment and they, they really took care of me in all those aspects. Um, but yeah, we were living in uh, Salzburg, Austria. When you talk about, uh, you know, missing, seeing those stars, it, it, it makes me think of when I was in my early twenties, uh, I, my first, uh, jolt out of Ross, New Brunswick, which is small town, New Brunswick, uh, not rural, but small town was was being in in india on on these crazy packed trains and these crazy packed cities full of people and um when i was you know feeling that claustrophobia of being in those tight spaces which i love by the way because i really enjoyed you know it was a really good jolt for me to to leave new brunswick and go to india there's a lot of good things about it uh but um when I was feeling that kind of like hemmed in, I'm around too many people uh, feeling, I used to like close my eyes and imagine that I was lying in the grass in my backyard in Rosse and staring up at the stars. Yep. Yeah. And that's how I calmed myself and got that feeling back of home. And so it's interesting that, that, that was something and you can experience that. And now I live in, in the South end of St. John Sawyer now, and I'm switches about 15 minutes away from where I grew up. Uh, but even even though St. John is a small city, it's like Dartmouth in the way that my my escape now to the country is we my my wife's family has had a cottage in their family for generations. And when I uh, we spend summers there and commute into work. And one of the biggest treats for me is that first night that I'm in Brown's Flat, which is like a very small town on the St. John River. 
and I'm walking on my own on an old, you know, sort of country road and I look up and I see the stars right. and it's such a, a nice feeling. Right. And, and we, so that's part of going back to the beginning of our conversation. We tend to think of big cities as places like Toronto, New York, London. Uh, but for what you're talking about, you know, St. John, Moncton, Halifax yep. are big, right? Yep. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up that point. And I mean, yeah, be, being where, um, being from Rosse, you know, you can really align with what I'm saying here in, in terms of that, those freedoms and those things. And, and I'm glad you brought up your trip because I think it's very important for us. And it was very important for me to gain perspective by leaving. Like I didn't realize, I didn't appreciate where I was from as much as I do now because I gained perspective by leaving. And that doesn't mean, uh, you know, I hated every place I've been. I've loved every place I've uh, traveled and lived. Um, but it just allowed me perspective and to really appreciate, um, you know, what I have here at home. And, and I feel that, you know, if, if, if people don't leave to come back, maybe they don't gain that perspective. You know, it took me to learn, um, you know, from Dartmouth, to learn from Victoriaville, Quebec, to learn from Austria, to le learn from Indiana, to learn from all these places I live to gain, again, that appreciation for where I was from. So bringing that feeling in into the business and, and it inspired, you know, the those early days of, of country liberty. Tell me about, so when you saw this brand, what, what was the what was the product line that you saw developing initially? And is it the same thing now as it was then? Well, um, to be honest, I come up with the idea and not the name, not the logo, not even the business type or passion project idea. Like it was, it was, it was just a feeling like, Hey, I want to represent that. And that was it at 19. And I shelved the idea cause I still wanted to play hockey. So fast forward, um, geez, two years at least until I went back to university. And when I got there, I said, Hey, if I'm ever going to start, cause I'm at this point, I was traveling every year, every couple months, like I was all over the place. Right. So I said, if I'm ever going to start any bit of a passion project, it's probably going to be now because I'm at school and I can't get traded or I can't get cut or I can't get called up or sent down or any of those, um, any of those, uh, hockey type things. So I said, you know, I'm here for a degree. I'm going to start now. But then the next question was like, what am I starting? Cause it's just a feeling. All I have is this bottled up feeling with no identification right now. So I took the very elementary approach and just said, I'm proud of the way I feel. So I'm going to express that on clothing. You know, I'm going to convey those messages with clothing because that seems very easy to do. And that, and, and I'm not even a real fashionable guy myself. Like I'm not overly interested in, in, in fashion and things like that. So it, it was a little, it's funny now that I'm running a, a, a clothing business, but at the time I just wanted to convey the message and the easiest approach was to just put it on clothing. And that's what I did. I, I printed 12 t-shirts, um, uh, started selling those, just hoping to make my money back on the design cost and on the printing cost of the, of the items. Um, and from there, people just grew interested. You know, people grew interested in the idea of what they know and love being represented on a t-shirt. So then we produced more t-shirts, you know, and tank tops and then hoodies. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden I'm running a brand, you know, it just kind of happened that way. Like it just happened very naturally. And, and, and the nicest part about it was there was no expectation. I, my goal was to make my money back on the first 12 t-shirts. And that was my goal. And that was $400 that was invested. Um, and, and that was my hope. Um, you know, and then it turned into something real. Um, and now it's, it's exceeding my expectations all the time. Even this year, like 2020, 
uh, you know, has, has been a good year. Uh, you know, it's, it, there's been elements that have been good and bad, but I mean, I, I just got on Dragon's Den. I had a great partnership with Molson. I'm building more relationships and, uh, you know, building better relationships with my customers and, and growing the community and, and all those wonderful things. So it's just um, every year I'm, you know, I'm just grateful to be here and be doing this. And, and um, you know, it does, it continues to exceed my expectations. Right. And, and you know, when I heard your your sales figures, uh, you know, I, I've been following the growth of your business and we've done several stories uh, on aspects of your business over the years. But when I heard just recently, and I think it was through, you know, the, the Dragon's Den episode and, and a story that we did on you a couple of weeks ago that, you know, your, your total sales, you know, are at 2.5 million that in, you know, over the course of the last year or so, it's been 1.1 million. Uh, those are big figures. Like where, uh, how did you get from, you know, 12 shirts and, and $400 to, to now, like where, where are your, where are your markets for your products? Like where, where, where are people buying from? Yeah. So, so we sell, um, online and we've always sold online. Um, in the early days we started in, in one little store in, uh, Rexton. And now we've grown to uh, having over 50 retail partners. Um, Studio, which is based in Halifax, would be our biggest retail partner. Um, but we've had some fantastic independent retailers that have stuck with us right from the early days uh, and played a big role in growing the brand as well. Um, and, and, and we're also in a, a clothing chain in um, northern New Brunswick uh, called Days as well. So so it's just kind of one by one combat in the sense that, you know, you start with one store and you work hard to get your second store and then you work hard to get your third store. And it just it just kind of happened that way. Um, and, you know, as you can probably assume, once things get a little bit of buzz is created about a product, the, you know, some other stores become a little bit easier uh, uh, to pitch yourself to, I guess, you know, so and that's just kind of the way that it happened. But I mean, most of the groundwork was just done through, you know, social media, organic marketing and networking. And, you know, I leveraged some of my hockey contacts and my um, academic contacts and my my peers at university and my old friends and my new friends and and, and just connected with as many people and, and, and just, you know, uh, I guess educated them on the brand and just allowed them to decide if it was something they were interested in supporting or not. And I mean, and there was lots of people that weren't that interested and that's completely fine. And there was lots of people that were, you know, and, and, um, so it just kind of grew that way. And, and, and I mean, I did a ton of cold calling, a ton, ton, ton of cold calling, which was uncomfortable at first, you know, but I just, I knew I had to do it in the early days to get partnerships and, and retail, uh, uh, retail floor space and things like that. And, and we just kind of grew and, and, and it seems like, you know, one partner would just often lead me to another. And, and I just kind of followed the bread trail, um, arriving at, you know, where I am now. And I just, not much has changed really in, in terms of my strategy. I'm just consistently following leads and just trying to put my, my, my business in a better chance to succeed with every kind of move I make. Um, th this is kind of a, a question that, leads to talking about, you know, uh, Liberty Village and that, and that project. Uh, but I, uh, and, and sort of, and, and how far, you know, a field you can go to get customers. But I have a, a good friend that I went to school with in, in Toronto and, uh, he grew, he was born and raised in Toronto and Thornhill. Um, and, uh, you know, when I was born and raised in Rossi, New Brunswick, and when we were in our 20s and we went to school together at Ryerson, that's where I studied journalism. 
uh, he, we, after we graduated and we stayed friends, even after I moved back to New Brunswick, but we would travel together a little bit and we would just take trips. We both had jobs. Uh, so they were all short trips, but we always used to, there was a battle between the two of us uh, where he was still lived in downtown Toronto. So everything he wanted to do was, was, was rural and outdoors and everything I wanted to do, uh, was city-based, right? And so we were always back and forth over where we were going to travel. And we did some pretty cool trips uh, together. Uh, we went to, to Laos uh, and Thailand together, and we went to Panama together. And uh, uh, But the reason why I tell you this story is that he, he, he was really, really set on always getting that outdoor, in the woods, yeah. hiking experience, you know, on the rivers. Um, and so we did a lot of that when we were in, in Thailand and, and, and Laos on the Mekong and in the mountains. And then we, you know, we went hiking in the cloud forests in Panama together. Yep. And, uh, but it, but it, it always struck me, right. How important this experience, these experiences were to him because he was born and raised in Thornhill and he lived in downtown Toronto. Yep. And, uh, and to this day he, you know, he still chooses his trips in the same way. And so it made me when you, when I first learned of the concept for Liberty Village, I, you know, I thought of New Brunswickers because we're also doing a lot of this kind of even, you know, people live in urban areas, New Brunswick hiking has become a big thing through COVID, right? Yep. And, and walking and being outdoors. Uh, and, but then I also think of, you know, guys like my friend in Toronto who, yeah, like he, he would come to New Brunswick to go stay in cabins for a week uh, in rural New Brunswick over going to Paris and going to galleries and cafes yeah. restaurants. Yeah, well, I, I think you hit the nail on the head and, and and you lived in Toronto. So you understand the relationship between Toronto and Muskoka and, and or, you know, uh, BC would be Kelowna or Penticton or these places that are essentially cottage country, which, you know, uh, New Brunswick being a coastal uh, province and, you know, with tons of rivers and, and lakes and things within, we're a very cottage country type atmosphere as well. And, and what I've realized through Country Liberty is a lot of these people for economic reasons, like probably like your friend lives in these cities. Okay. For the job, for the education, for the, you know, X, Y, and Z, but a lot of their interests lie outside the cities. Right. So there's that conflict of, I have to live in the city because it's the best thing for my career, for example. But on the weekends, I want to go out to Muskoka. I want to go out to Penticton. I want to go out to Kelowna. I want to go out to Rexton or Grand Lake or, you know, all these, uh, you know, uh, there's tons in Nova Scotia. I mean, there's there's tons of these type of of getting out of the city type environments, and to me, there's a reason for that, and there's a love. Even if you live in in a, a forty story condo building, you might still be my customer because you love getting out on the weekends when you can, or booking those trips outside of the cities and 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 things like that. So, that's a customer base that I really think a lot about, and Liberty Village is exactly that like Liberty Village is located in Rexton. Do I expect Rexton Country Liberty customers to vacation at the village? No, of course not. But my target for for that effort is more somebody that lives in Moncton in an apartment that's going to drive 45 minutes and stay in my cabin for the weekend. You know, so that is that's more of the approach there and I wanted to offer a physical uh, a physical location that people can come and experience this lifestyle that I've been advocating for years. You know, so if you are a, a country Liberty customer that lives in Moncton, because that's where your job is, you know, and you've been buying my sweatshirts, well, now you can come and physically experience what I've been preaching all these years, 
you know, and, and it's just another option. And I advocate for all accommodations similar to mine, because I think more people need to come out and, and experience these areas, whether they're coming to my resort or, 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 or a different resort or staying at the national park, you know? Um, but I just really wanted to offer physical, a physical option for these customers that live in the cities to come and experience, um, life outside the city. Yeah, I know this is, it's early days for that project and we'll definitely dig into did Dragon's Den in a few minutes for sure. But I, I, you know, I was, I was struck by when you were describing, you know, your revenue streams that, you know, you're, you're at, you know, two and a half million in sales retail over the years. And, and right now it's early days for Liberty Village. And I think it was, you know, around $40,000 in revenue for this first year. So obviously you've got a long way to go with it. Um, do you see Liberty Village? What, what, place will it play in, in terms of developing your business uh, as in terms of its level of importance and yeah. potential scale of it? Yeah. So, I mean, at the time of, of the pitch, like you mentioned, the 40,000 in revenue, that was in um, yeah, two months of operating. And I mean, it's it's COVID year too. So this year I was hoping, you know, pre-COVID, I was hoping this year was going to really tell me the potential of that business concept. Uh, with COVID and just all the curveballs this year, it's not really giving me a, a real concrete example of what to expect. Um, but I feel that, you know, Country Liberty is the breadwinner. Country Liberty is um, is the business, right? And and um, things like Liberty Village are just, a, it's it's almost like a different uh, product offering, you know, but, but the primary focus is Country Liberty and the clothing. It always has been. It probably always will be. Um, where Liberty Village is just, it's another option, you know, for customers. And, and for example, we have customers that, that will buy one item and they'll buy maybe the best selling item and that's what they want, you know, and that's great. And then we'll have some customers that buy anything new that comes out, anything new and interesting. Those are like the real loyal community members that, that, that have been supporting every season, every, every collection that's dropped, they're picking something up. Well, those types of customers are more likely to go to the Liberty village because it's just a different product offering, uh, outside of what our core is, you know? And then we, again, we have the core customer and then we have, um, you know, the community member that I, that I identify is, you know, somebody that picks up a few items somebody that wants to come and explore the village and somebody that wants to try our red wine and, you know, somebody that's a lot more engaged, um, um, like that, but no, the primary focus is the clothing and country Liberty and, and Liberty village is just another kind of unique way to, um, offer something valuable to our customers. And you were definitely, you know, a, a, a probably stating the obvious, but you were well set up for handling uh, the, the pandemic from a retail perspective because you were already operating fully online. Yeah. I mean, we, we've had an online presence since day one. I mean, I think every single business should today's day and age, even if you're not selling something, I think that you should have an informational website to say the least. So the website was always something very, very important. Um, that I got up and running very early. Um, and, you know, I mentioned earlier in, in our conversation, I'm not a really risky person. So, I mean, nobody was predicting the pandemic, but I was prepared for it in the sense that I knew things were taken care of, things would be okay. You know, I wasn't worried about losing the business or, or something like that because I, I had take those I had taken those very conservative steps um, just over the years, just by nature, you know, so, so I was, you know, fairly prepared. And then, uh, you know, with the pandemic, there was, there was different opportunities like Liberty village. I mean, again, it's my first year, so it's hard to know, but part of me feels like, uh, Liberty village was a great option for people to escape 
the higher populated areas and have their little staycations and their little vacations and things too. Right. So, so with the pandemic, there's been, I guess, uh, uh, pros and cons on both sides. So tell me about the, about the dragon's den experience. Um, cause it does, it does fascinate a lot of people, the process and, and the pitch and then, and then, you know, what ends up coming out of it. Yep. Yeah. So one thing I've been telling people the most and seems to catch everybody's attention is, is, um, you know, the pitch itself, the video or sorry, the, the, the episode that was aired was eight minutes, eight and a half minutes, something like that. But I was actually pitching for an hour. So I was pitching for an hour, meaning they cut out, you know, 52 minutes of footage. So there was a lot of the pitch that wasn't shown in the episode. And also, um, uh, you know, using their TV producing skills, they made the, sh- the pitch a lot more entertaining. They made it a lot more suspenseful, a little more dramatic, um, you know, just by the way that they edited. So that's one thing I think people should should uh, watch these shows and, 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 you know, with a grain of salt because it doesn't directly reflect reality. Um, it made it look a lot more stressful. Like, yes, I was nervous and excited and those things, but I, at no point was I like overly stressed or did I feel out of control, um, you know, but the way that the episode was perceived, it kind of seemed that way. And, you know, um, there was some, some hard criticism by some of the dragons, but in reality, I would, I would say, you know, that those dragons that criticized me also complimented me equally. However, a lot of those compliments and things were cut out of the, of the episode. So I would certainly tell people, you know, watch the episode with a grain of salt. Um, but besides that, I, I think that, you know, the whole process is probably what people would, would expect. You know, I went to St. John, uh, just before COVID started for a, a pitch uh, to, to one of the co-producers who then decided, you know, hey, am I worthy enough to pitch to the Dragons? A few weeks after that, I got the call, you know, hey, yeah, uh, we're going to invite you to pitch to the Dragons. But only 50% of people that pitch to the Dragons actually air on TV. So they said, yeah, we're going to guarantee your chance to pitch, but there's no guarantee you'll be on TV, um, which I didn't care because TV wasn't my goal. My goal was pitching the dragons. Like I wanted to be in the same room as, as Canada's finest. And that was my outstanding priority. Um, so I feel like I had already won at that point. Um, but with COVID, you know, they expressed the possibility of maybe a zoom pitch or, you know, Hey, can you fly in? Can you drive in? Can you, you know, what's the safest way and what's the best way to go about it? There's a lot of unknown in the, in the, in the, in the system. Um, and ultimately it led me to driving down a week before taking a COVID test, um, laying low for a few days in Toronto. Um, and then, you know, going to the studio, which was very, like, very, uh, it was a very delicate process. Like there was very little human contact once I was in the studio. Um, you know, contrary to other years, I wasn't allowed to use models. I had to use mannequins, you know, so there was little things like that. Um, the dragons weren't allowed to trade handoff products to each other. Um, in case of like cross contamination, I guess. And, you know, there's just a lot of different rules and stuff like that, um, which was a little different, but, um, from my perspective, I walked in the, the actual pitching room, was about four times bigger than it seems on TV. It was a very big room, which was, you know, a little intimidating, um, where I had to go and stand on a specific place on the floor and 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 basically pitch to these guys. And you know, the, the cameras and the big bright lights and all those things were 
you know, fairly uh, um, intimidating, I guess, that you wouldn't see on TV. Um, and just being in the presence of these guys. Now, they're, I watch the show uh, Dragon's Den and Shark Tank both, and at sometimes they can be pretty rigid and, and, you know, but they were all very, very nice. They were nice. When the cameras were off, they were super nice. Like they were just, you can tell that they're genuine human beings and they're successful for a reason. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was really cool and it felt very similar to when I was, you know, at NHL camp, when I was taking a taxi cab with Roberto Luongo, you know, like it was surreal and unbelievable at 17 years old that I'm in, in, in the same taxi as this Olympic legend. Um, you know, it felt the same way having a conversation with the dragons, like they were the NHL players. They are the NHL players in the business world. Right. So it was a very similar feeling, um, in that aspect. The, now I know, uh, now that I know, understand the editing process better, um, uh, I was watching, but when I was watching your your pitch, you, you seemed incredibly poised because you had them going back and forth, uh, you know, figuring out who was gonna who was gonna partner with you, yep. what combination of them would partner with you, yep. what percentage of the company, what amount, and it was you know after in the edited process, it looks really rapid fire, and you're, you're standing there looking really yep. really poised. And if if uh, you know people listening haven't uh, watched the pitch, you can go back and and find it online, and you really should. Um, but uh, my question, uh, Sora, too, because coming out of this is tell us a little bit about the two men who ended up, uh, you know, agreeing to invest with you. Yeah, well, I was poised because Lane Lane um, showed positive interest almost right away. So when I when I got his feedback early on, it gave me the confidence that, OK, because I knew going on all I needed was one. I didn't need everybody, and I assumed some some of the dragons would drop out, and that's fine. I knew I needed one. So when Lane expressed his 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 positive feedback almost right away, it gave me the confidence, and it was very calming. And I was confident in the business. I knew the numbers were strong. Um, you know, I knew that I did my homework. I was very very well prepared. Um, you know, so I was confident. And when Lane kind of complimented me, that gave me that level of poise that you probably recognized. Um, and yeah, some of the dragons dropped out, and and but I was completely fine through it all because I really felt Lane was going to make an offer based on what he what he said, and he ultimately did end up making an offer for exactly what I came for. And I mean, I've seen the show, I've studied the show, I know how it goes, and 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 anytime somebody gets an offer for exactly what they come for, it's really good, you know, because it gives you the leveraging power when Vince placed his offer and Jim and you know the starting point for the negotiation was what I wanted where normally they negotiate, they, they, they counter offer, so to speak right away where he just agreed to give me what I wanted. So I had that level of confidence and security and also watching the show. I, I knew, uh, you know, not to talk too much. So I wanted to let each dragon say their piece, either bow out or make an offer before I responded to anybody. I, I knew that as just part of my strategy so what I did was I just watched and let them go down the chair, go down the list uh, line of chairs, sorry, and kind of place their offers. Um, and then that's when you see a lot of the bickering between them. But if you notice, I'm not really intervening. I'm just kind of letting them sort themselves out before I really want to tactically, um, you know, make my, uh, say my piece, you know. So, so Jim was somebody I was very interested in uh, because 
I, I look up to Jim watching the show. He's one of my favorites. He's very black and white. He's very quiet during the, the begin the early stages of pitches. And he just says, I feel what needs to be said. He's very to the point. He's been there. He's done that. He's very successful. Um, his son is the general manager of the Calgary flames. So we have the hockey connection. He's a big sports fan. Um, so I just, I really like Jim just for all those reasons. And Lane, what I loved about Lane too, was his, first of all, his interest in me. And, and as we know, you know, it's pretty easy to get a passive investor that doesn't answer the phone. Um, you know, because these guys are, have tons of different priorities where Lane, I, I felt a real connection to him. He felt really interested in me and my business. So right away I said, if he, if he wants me, I want him. Um, and, and, you know, through the research before the show, I knew Lane, he lives in Kelowna, which is cottage country, right? Which identifies with the things that we just talked about. Um, he, he sold a $350 million business at my age, 28, you know? So it was all these reasons too. I said, you know, this guy's a star, like this is somebody I want to align with. Um, so those two were very important to me. Arlene, um, she bowed out and came in and out she was somebody I, I listened to her speak uh, last year in Toronto. Actually, the day we lost Kobe Bryant, ironically, she was speaking at, a, at an event. Um, and I've always really liked Arlene as well because she's very emotional with her with her investments, which I'm very emotional as well. I'm, I'm not just black and white. I want to make money and that's it. No, like I want to do things that I really care about. And so does Arlene. So, so you know, I could go down each and Vince too. And, and, you know, they all have their, their, their value. So I identified all that value before going on the show. Um, so that when, you know, when the offers were made, I was calculating more than just the, the dollar amounts that were offered. I was calculating the value that these, that these people offered. And, and as you see me kind of thinking on the show, that's what I was doing. I was trying to calculate all those variables in a very short period of time, probably like 30 seconds, um, to kind of base my decision. And, and my counter offers. And, and actually I was very afraid to counter offer because I've seen people counter offer and lose the deal completely. So at one point I was, I was just kind of silent and lane, and this wasn't aired obviously, but lane said, Sawyer, you're allowed to counter offer. So he, for the second time in the pitch instilled the confidence in me that I was, a, you know, that I felt more comfortable kind of pushing back a little bit, you know? So, and that's when I did, that's when I came out with the, with the counter offer. Um, and, and, you know, as, as you know, it, it all kind of worked out. So, uh, you know, you're a huge fan of, of, of the show. Um, I've watched the show a lot. Uh, we've also done, you know, a lot of stories at huddle on companies that have made successful and, and unsuccessful pitches on the show that are from this region. Um, so you and I both know that, that even by the time a show goes to air, um, you know, sometimes the deal actually hasn't worked out. There's a due diligence process to go through. Um, where do things stand right now uh, with uh, with the, the two investors and, and how you're moving forward with them, with uh, Jim and Lane? Yeah, so um, this year, I think different than others, the pitching, the pitching between the pitching and the actual airing is such a short gap, shorter than most years, um, or so I was told. Um, we, we, we are still in the due diligence process now. I think we're at the very tail end of it. Um, but we're still in that, in that process, but I feel everything was rushed for everybody, the producers, for the dragons, for myself, for everything, you know? Um, so I'm very thankful to say that, you know, all the homework's been done. We're just basically at the final stages, which is nice. Um, it's just a bit of a waiting game from here. Yeah. Do you feel good about it? 
yeah, yeah, I feel really confident. Um, you know, I feel like uh, it, it would be dangerous to rely on the Dragons. Like, like I feel the Dragons, you know, they were a bonus to my business if, if they were interested in working with me, but the business would be fine without them as well. And that was my mindset coming in. And, and that was my mindset even after. Like, it was it was hard to come off the, the high horse of being so excited uh, with the with the deal back in August, but I knew I needed to operate, and I knew that that was just the introduction to show them what I can do. So in the meantime, from from August onward, my attitude has been, I'm going to prove myself to these guys. So so I feel like um, very confident with with what I've been reporting back to them um, throughout this due diligence pro- uh, process because we speak almost every second week. When I speak with their team, um, you know, so I'm constantly reporting sales numbers and just. Projections for next year and product development and relationship development in terms of collaborations, things like that. So I feel confident just based on the information that I'm that I'm passing along that I think everything looks good. So um, to be honest, I'd be a little surprised if it doesn't all go through. And I, I know too, also when you hear this from other people who pitch on the show that the investment's important, uh, but so is the exposure. And when I think of your business, I think. Uh, you know, because we're, you know, I, I, I've been in the media business here for, for 20 years now and know, you yep. know, how difficult it is to grow markets inside of Atlanta, Canada. Yep. And, and also, I, you know, in the case of your business, uh, the reason even partly why I mentioned, you know, my friend, my friend's example is the markets outside of Atlanta, Canada of people looking to connect with the kind of experiences you're offering, you know, both through, through the yep. retail you know, clothing, but also the experiential aspect of, of, you know, being at Liberty Village is, is incredibly meaningful. And, and, you know, across Canada, across North America, those, those very large markets of people looking for that are in some of these big centers. Yeah. Um, so it makes me wonder if, you know, you being on the Dragons, pitching to these guys, yeah. um, being watched across the country by people who live in cities and, or even smaller cities that, this is their first exposure to you that there is a real opportunity for you even through dragons to help grow, to help grow your market for your online, for your products. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. I mean, the exposure just being on the show was one, I mean, it was huge, but then what I didn't calculate was the exposure afterwards. I mean, all the major newspapers, you know, we're having this conversation today based on the dragons. Then um, we were in the Toronto sun yesterday. So it just, we were even covered in Vancouver, a, a, a journalist picked us up about just with the Can, uh, Canucks connection and things. So, I mean, the the media coverage before and afterwards was, you know, maybe just as big as being on the show itself, um, which was just fantastic because, as you know, like it's, it's all free advertising for, for folks like me, right? So it's, it's fantastic um, that way. And, and even, you know, with the pandemic, like you said, like people are realizing the value of being outside the cities. And, you know, I, I know real estate in my area has boomed. So there is a thirst to come to these areas and experience these country lifestyle type experiences. Um, and I think that, you know, I think just given the pandemic, given the, the, the newfound media coverage and the Dragon's Den exposure and all those things, it's just a combination for, for uh, you know, just kind of a winning recipe in the sense that, you know, people are starting to pay attention to the country lifestyle, you know. Have you seen, uh, have you seen, is it too early to tell in terms of any kind of sales bumps you might've seen through some of the exposure through, uh, through the Dragon's Den? Uh, no, I, I don't think it's too early to tell. I mean, we, we've certainly experienced a sales bump. Um, I'm very, very pleased again, exceeded my expectation. I didn't know what to expect. I prepared as best I could. 
for what I thought, you know, um, and we sold out of tons of our bestsellers, you know, so it's, it's, um, no, it's been really good, really good sales bump. And like I said, it, it's just been that, uh, the, the exposure and the hype factor and just the education, you know, even, even for the, the, the audience members that watched the episode that didn't necessarily buy, you know, we were made aware to those people. So there's also that promotional bump as well, uh, which I'm most excited about because I'm a long-term thinker. I'm not a short-term, you know, get excited about a quick couple sales. I'm, I'm, I'm more excited about the longevity. And I feel like we just t- took a big step forward and, and just, making a lot more people in a short period of time aware of our business. Well, this is really great to talk to you, Sawyer. I'll, I'll, I, as we close out the conversation here, I'll ask a, a more personal question because I, you know, when we started this conversation, you know, we, we talked about, you know, uh, our childhoods and, and, and growing up in these, you know, rural and, and suburban areas where you could actually enjoy the nature and enjoy the outdoors more. And, uh, you know, fast forward and you're, you're now a busy, uh, you're still living in that environment, uh, but you're a busy entrepreneur trying to run Liberty Village and build the country Liberty brand and form this new partnership with, uh, with uh, Jim and Lane. Uh, <laughs> how much of that are you able to, to enjoy and, and what, what do you do uh, in your downtime there? It's funny. I, I enjoy the process. I've learned, you know, in my early days, I enjoyed the rewards and the achievements and those things. But I've learned through entrepreneurship that I need to enjoy the process and not, and, and that's one thing I'm trying to get back to. I'm trying to smell the roses a little bit more, but I had learned to just enjoy the process. Like take Liberty Village, for example. I was there every single day. And now that we're operating, I'm barely there. You know, I'm, I haven't gone inside a unit in I don't know how long, but I, I was inside those units every day, you know, working and just doing what I could and, and things like that. So what I've realized about myself is I'm, I'm more of a, a, a builder. Uh, like I, I really enjoy the process of getting it done. And once it's done, I'm on to the next thing, you know, I'm on to the next project, I'm on to the next, and then I'm operating and, and things like that. Right. So, um, in terms of downtime, I, I really don't have, uh, any downtime because I, on the weekends and things like that, I mean, I do hang out with friends once in a while, but, um, you know, on the weekends and stuff, I'm working on the next thing I'm working on Liberty village or I'm working on you know, and as you know, online businesses, they never stop. You know, we, we market on the weekends, we market on Sunday nights, we market on holidays. We, you know, so, so we're constantly, constantly working, but I really enjoy it. Um, so I wouldn't, you know, I can't say I'd change anything. Yeah. Do you still play a little road hockey? I played, I played senior hockey last year, um, which was really fun. Um, but this year, you know, given COVID, there is no hockey. So I haven't been on the ice, but you know, if there would have been a season this year, I probably would have played and that would have provided me with my, a little bit of my balance, you know? Yeah. Do you still get to take the time to look at the stars? Um, not as often as I would probably like, but I live where I live. It's beautiful right on the river. The stars are beautiful and those things. So, so every now and again, you know, when I get home after work and it's late and, and, and it's dark. And I, I usually take a moment to just, you know, kind of look around and just appreciate exactly where I am in that present moment. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Sawyer. I really appreciate your time. Yes. Thank you very much. It was, it was fantastic talking to you, Mark. Thank you. You've been listening to the latest episode of Huddle Home Office. And thank you, Sawyer, for the great chat. The Huddle Home Office is produced by me, Mark Legier, Sharice Sletson, and Tyler McLean. And thank you, Derek, for joining me for the intro chat. Hope to have you back on the show soon. 
You can subscribe to Huddle Home Office on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, It could be Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher, um, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I hope you have a great week, and we'll talk to you again soon.